how I came to Mansfield. We moved to Mansfield in 2002, a month before my youngest daughter was born. And several people told us about, about the church. And we started going one Saturday evening and looking through the bulletin, um, seeing the request for, for Big Hope. And um, I kind of felt called at the beginning, put it off for a while. Then there was another request for volunteers, and so that's when I uh, decided to sign up. For me, personally, um, when I felt that calling, I am adopted. I was adopted when I was 10 days old. Somebody was there to, that felt called to give me um, a future that if I wasn't adopted, I, you know, I may not have had. And so that's kind of why I wanted, why I think I felt called is because I wanted to provide that voice and, and tell them, hey, look, there's this whole other big world out there. Every time I come to ponder and walk down the halls and whether I see, you know, a kindergarten class, second graders, they all have smiles on their face. They're all happy to be there, enjoy coming to school. But this is a happy place. They come here and they see this brand new building and what the community is invested in them. There is definitely a sense of pride uh, amongst all the staff and, and the kids. My match, my little has, um, actually has both his parents at home. And, and I think that's what surprised me the most was is that, you know, he seemed to have a very happy uh, home life. You know, they sit down and have dinner together, you know, much like we do with my family. I was merely coming along to just be his friend and be his buddy, somebody that he could talk to as an adult. We've spent a lot of time reading What's this like? to deal with some of his learning disabilities. My little brother has dyslexia. Break it down. So I've kind of used that experience in turn. Yeah. Dealing with my younger brother to help Aaron because right. he also has uh, a mild form of dyslexia. It's got an ER on the end, so Part producers. Mm. I'm just having trouble on three. Okay. The U.S. paid taxes. You filed your taxes? No. Oh, that should be Texas. T E. Probably picked up a couple of reading levels mm. over the years. Texas. We'll do some reading math activity for a little bit and then we'll spend half the time you know playing a game or just talking he weighs rocks we just picks it up and carries it no he uses a forklift. oh he uses a forklift aaron has changed a lot i mean he's gone from a second grader to a fourth grader so in those two years he has matured and we talked about the future and what the future looked like that hey college is an option too so you don't have to be pigeonholed into doing this one thing your entire life he can dream any dream and if he puts his mind to it that he can achieve that dream so you were paying attention to class weren't you sort of Sort of. I benefited most from knowing that, you know, not everybody has the opportunities that I have. It's helped me to probably be more reflective and just listen and not say, okay, well, instead of doing that, do this and that will fix your problem and then we can, we can go on to the next problem. Kids will tell you if they want help to fix a problem or they just want to talk about something. I think that's the one thing that I've probably learned the most, you know, see things more from their perspective and then remember their view of point and let them know that you've been down that road and, and you can relate to them. It's something that I think we're all called to do 
and that is to, you know, lift each other up and, and help them so that they know that other people care about them. My name is Troy Lestina. I work for the City of Mansfield as the Assistant Finance Director. I'm a mentor and I have to coach. Today we begin a new message series, Unlikely Heroes. We sort of thought of what, what a great way to begin to, to tell the Big Hope story. Hear Troy telling it very well. Uh, we actually partner with an elementary school just really uh, two blocks from here, Alice Ponder. Uh, there are many mentors here right now in our service today. Uh, some of them are wearing the shirts, there's Big Hope on it. You'll see those marked out there, here, there, in different services as well. Pastor Caesar has been a mentor and is now. Uh, I've been a mentor and I'm a substitute mentor, mentor today, as of now. Uh, a great part of our story as a church is how can we uh, be used by God in the world we live in, and the Big Hope Program is a great way to do that. There are many others as well. If you, if you thought about being a mentor or learning more about what that means or being a mentor sub, it's a very important part of our program that makes it work, you can sign up today for more information at the back. We'll tell you when, where, how to connect. We're actually recruiting folks for the fall program. Well, this is a program that goes on and on and on for years to come. So we connect with teachers, leaders, administrators, and kids in that school. And what a great way to connect uh, and be used by God in a unique way, the Big Hope Program, and under the banner today of Unlikely Heroes. Pray with me, please, would you? Heavenly Father, we ask you to bless Big Hope. Alice Ponder, mentors, subs, the kids, the leaders in that school, our entire school area here. May somehow, God, the efforts that we put into play through financial supporting our church, praying for the program, being maybe a mentor or the supporter in that program. And somehow, God, the efforts we, we put forth make a difference in the lives of kids who will change this world. Our prayers in Jesus' name. Amen. One young man I was a mentor for last year, uh, and I worried about this, that they, they, they called him regularly to see how are things going with your mentor. And, you know, I hope, I hope that they like me. You always worry, that they, I don't like my mentor, you know. I don't like that preacher guy. But here's what he said. He said, I know I talk a lot, and he listens to me. That was his take on our year-long being together. He listens to me. And his life, no one else did. Very fractured family, being raised by his grandparents. Life, very, very difficult for this young man. But there was this one guy who came in once a week for an hour, just listened to everything he had to say, and he could talk for an entire hour. Don't tell my wife I can listen that well. But um, <laughs> she may wonder, hey, hey. Talk about heroes, unlikely heroes today. We are big on superheroes in our culture. My wife and I often see our date night as a movie night, very quiet, calm time, hold hands, watch the, the movie, eat popcorn, do those kind of things. But uh, there in, in that time period, I like going to superhero movies because the good guys always beat the bad guys. And I like that. In the end, the bad guys are done and the good guys go off in the sunset. Now, though, but it's not very difficult to understand why movies like uh, uh, The Avengers or The Hulk or Iron Man or Captain America or Spider-Man or, or, or Fantastic Four or The Black Widow, uh, we understand about them because they have superpowers. With superpowers, it's not hard, at least we think anyway, to be a superhero. What kind of superpowers do I have? I can make a difference. You know, we have, uh, we have Troy saying, let me help you spell out this word. 
spend time with you as an adult, a big shot in the city of Mansfield adult, spend time with a little boy, you know, or listening to me, or the one Caesar connects with or you connect with. And, and that is a broad idea that goes far beyond just that program to life for the one who chooses to follow Jesus Christ, what it is to be a superhero or a hero or an unlikely hero. We're talking about David today, King David, you might know him as. David was destined to be a shepherd. In his culture, that was locked in. The youngest son in his family, his job would be to care for everyone else, to care for his older brothers, and to care for the family sheep, which is what he did pretty much every day of his life until he became a young man, his story. But somehow this man, this young man, finds himself tackling a giant, surviving a season from running and hiding from a king who wants to kill him, being crowned, and life getting even tougher at that point, building, loving, winning, losing, sinning, receiving grace, beginning again, a nation is born. And all of it, where does this come from in this idea of an unlikely hero in David? I want to put a verse on the screen for you to see. Acts chapter 13, verse 22. His words come many, many years later about David. And here is where David comes from and how we get a sense of hero as followers of Christ. I've searched the land and found David, a son of Jesse. He's a man whose heart beats to my heart, a man who will do what I tell him. I love those words. Just a heart that beats with the heart of God. Connect with God that way, which is what worship is about, as Scott pointed out. But also, he'll do what I tell him to do. Some years ago, I, I made a trip to Houston to see a man that I knew. Uh, Bob was having surgery for cancer. It had blindsided him very suddenly. He'd had cancer 15 years before, and it was gone. He thought that was past him, but it wasn't. So I drove five hours to see him there through the city, there in the hospital district, to be with his family during that season of time, and very, very difficult, frightening surgery in that day for him. And while there, sitting with his family, praying for his family, I got another phone call. That phone call came from my dad, who told me that my mother had had a heart attack in San Angelo. So I spent a couple of hours with his family, prayed for this family. I got that call, and I said, I'm going to pray for you again, and I've got to go. So I went in my car and drove six hours to San Angelo with my mom, who recovered that, from that, that heart attack, lived 10 more years, and passed away finally of heart disease. But in those stories, I want you to understand, there, there was something that went on with that, and that was, I love Bob. I, love, I knew Bob. And I wanted to be there when this time came. I can't always be there, but I could. And so I, made, made, I went down there. I love my mom. And so the, the drive was nothing. Going to Houston wasn't hard to do. I was going to see Bob, who had cancer. But San Angelo wasn't hard to do. I was going to see my mom who had a heart attack. I was worried she was going to die. I stopped one time to get gas on that trip back, on that trip to San Angelo. I want you to think about what motivates us, moves us, challenges us, drives us, especially as people, hear me now, as people formed and shaped by our experience with Jesus Christ, who loves us, saves us, blesses us. Hear what Troy said? He said, I was adopted. You know, I, I know my own story, what my life had been like if I had not been adopted at 10 days old, how my life is now, and I wanted to help someone else. That's what it is to have a heart shaped by Jesus Christ. And here, in the words of Acts, 
a man whose heart, a woman whose heart beats to my heart. And who responds to that beating and how they live, what they do, how they live, how they serve, what their life is about. I'm going to share a few teaching points that come from this. Three specific questions as well. But hear this. The story of a hero often, if not always, begins in the heart. That's where it starts. It starts right here. Heart that listens and responds, is warm and shaped and open. Our world can be very cynical, very damaging, very sarcastic, and it can take the heart away from us. It can take it right out of us if we don't connect with God. We connect with God and Jesus, the heart softens. And God speaks to the heart, which leads to three questions that you need to answer or ask for yourself. First is this, who and what do we love? Who and what do we love? I want you to think about that and what that means for you in your own life and your own experience. Who and what do you love? What do you care about? What matters to you? Secondly, what are we passionate about? And who and what are we passionate about? In a loving way, what drives us, moves us, encourages us, and our life. It always begins in the heart. And I believe God speaks to our heart every day, all the time, in all kind of ways. But we can, over a period of time, ignore the voice of God speaking to our heart. We can allow ourselves to no longer listen. We've ignored so long, we don't pay attention. Or we say things like, he's talking to somebody else. It's about someone else. Someone else should, needs to, ought to, maybe someone else, not me. And so we learn to, too often, ignore when God speaks to our heart and our heart beats. And the heart of God beats further and further and further away from our heartbeat. We find ourselves missing what God wants to do in, for, in us, for us, and through our lives, which leads to the third question. Do we care about the same thing God cares about? Life and love and energy and passion and purpose is found in that place. As King David understood, as God saw this young man, his heart beats with my heart. David, I want you to be king. Forget the rest of them. Forget your brothers. Forget the others. It's you I'm calling. Can we hear God speak to us that way? Are we listening or have we heard so long we no longer hear? We felt his touch so long we've ignored it now at this point. Our hearts have grown, grown so hard we can't hear God speak. It's you. And, and Troy said that. At first I thought, no, no, no. Yes. It's me he's talking to. I've heard, the, I've heard the call too many times. I've got to hear that call and go. There are many ways to respond to God, not just Big Hope Program. That's just one unique way that many of us do. But I want you to think what's happening in your life and mine as we hear God speak to us. Now, there's some lessons we can learn from David himself and his life. And I want to show you two pictures. I'll show you a picture first of King David, a picture of King David or a statue of King David. And a year and a half ago, we were in Israel. We're going again in February. And while there, uh, there in Jerusalem, I saw this statue of David. No fanfare around it, nothing else, just a statue of a king, the king of Israel. 
And if you'll notice there that he is not, he's not holding a, a sword. He doesn't have a big spear like he might have used when he killed Goliath. You know, he's not showing, not even holding a sling, which certainly he used to knock that giant down. There's no shield, no fanfare, just a man sitting with a harp. Just a harp. This hero for God that had been built by him years before, sitting as a young man. They're looking at his father's sheep, and they're writing and singing psalms of praise to God that we know he continued to do throughout his life until he died, still writing and singing praises, hymns of songs of praise to God. He had built a life with God, his heart connecting with God, and that life moving to a, a place of greatness beyond what anybody might have imagined. I'll show you a second picture as well. It's a picture of, of, of David's tomb there in the city of Jerusalem. And what's so unusual is you would think that the city, that the people would have built a cathedral or some kind of temple around this, but no. You can reach out and touch it. You can take a picture right there. As you see this tomb that, that commemorates the life and death of King David, this great man that we recognize as great as the book of Acts says, as God says, because his heart beat with my heart. He looked down, did not look at anything but the heart of this man. What does God see when he sees your heart and my heart? Are we listening? Do we allow God to touch our heart? Can God give us grace in our heart? Can God shape our heart? Can God reshape our lives around what the heart is about, which is, God, I love you. I do love you, God. You know that I love you, God. The words of the apostle Peter, three times he said, you know that I love you, God. You know, you know, Jesus. You, there's nothing else, Lord, about me, Peter. You know that I love you. I often say that to God myself. I'll say, God, you know my flaws and my failures and my frailties. And I'm very, you're very clear on that, and I know what they are as well, but God, you know that I love you. Nothing else, God, you know that I love you. And so another message comes that weekend following those simple moments we have with our God as we build our life with God. The second thing we have about David is this. David would step up when others step back. He would step up when others step back as a very unlikely hero. You may know the story uh, that he is hurting his, taking care of his father's flock, uh, and, and he is asked to take lunch basically to his brothers who are toward Jerusalem there, and they are with an army. And that army of men are opposed to the army of Philistines on the other side. And the Philistines had come against Israel again and again and again. They had iron weapons. Uh, Israel had bronze weapons. They were scared to death of the Philistines. They would come and steal their harvests. They would make slaves of their people. They would kill their families, and they'd come once again. And Israel had built an army to stand in between the Philistines and Jerusalem, and there they were. And each morning, this giant named Goliath would come out, and he would say, if you send one man to fight me, and if they beat me, then, then our people will become your servants. But if I beat him, then you'll become our slaves. And each day he would come and he would shout against God and Israel and make this challenge once again. And no one 
would go out there to face his nine-foot-tall giant with a seven-foot spear and a sword made of iron and a shield made of bronze. They weren't going. Well, David goes, this young man, probably 19, 20 years old, carrying the, the lunch for his brothers, and he hears that challenge, and he says, why will no one go? And they would basically say, we're afraid of this guy. We're not going. We're not going to. They kept waiting for someone else. Maybe this soldier will go or, or, or that one. Maybe the king will go, but not me. And so he says, I'll go. I'll go. They laughed at him. And he went to see the king. And the king looked at him and thought, hey, not a good choice here, but you're all I got. <laughs> you're all I got. So I'm going to send you. And so he went, you know the story. You know the sling and the stone. The giant was defeated. When others, would, when others refused to step up, he did. Another step back, he stepped forward. He thought he was the one. And I think sometimes God looks at us and says, you're the one I've got. I'm going to send you. You're the one that will go. I'm going to empower you. You're the one that says, yes, I'm going to give you my spirit. You're the one that says, I'll do it, and I'm going to help you make a difference in your family, in your workplace, your community, your world, big hope, all kinds of ways we can do that. But it's about saying, I'm not going to step back anymore. I'm going to step up. Third thing here is that David remembered the things God had done for him. The things God had already done for him in his life. And from that place, he moved to this next journey into becoming a great king of Israel after he defeated a giant named Goliath. As David herded sheep and he remembered these stories and tells these stories, and as he began to face uh, this giant, he told the king, well, hey, when I was taking care of my dad's sheep out there on the hillside, and I'm sure the king's saying, well, that's a big deal, but anyway, as I, I learned something, I learned out there that when the bear came to steal my father's sheep, when the lion came to eat my father's sheep, that I could drive them away. And I was able to kill the bear and the lion with this, this stone and this sling. And the God who gave those animals to me will get this giant into my hand as well. The God who has been faithful will be faithful here as well. We have times in our life God has worked for us. That God has been faithful, that God has forgiven, that God has got us through. And I say it often, I'll say it again today. Your presence here in this service right now is a testimony that God has been faithful to you. In fact, you got here this morning, made it to church, are sitting in a pew, says God has been faithful in your life in the past in all kinds of ways, small and large. Times you can name and times you don't even know that he acted for you, but he did. And so we learn that God is faithful to us in our life, and that's a source of courage for what's next. We don't face anything we do in a vacuum. God has filled that with his grace, his work, his blessings, and he leads us to a new place. Number four, or the fourth point, teaching point, David knew how to accept grace and begin again. You know, now, now David messed up a lot in his life. Who hasn't? We messed up, though, he messed up really big time. You know, adultery and murder were part of his journey. There were seasons he abandoned God for as long as a year. We know that's part of his story. 
He separated himself for whatever reason for as long as a year in his life. But God would call him back and he would return, accept God's mercy and grace. He would confess his failures and what he had done, be restored to God, and then he would repent and begin a new life, having learned how God worked in his life, received God's grace, learned from his past mistakes, and begin new in his life. He did that continually in his life. I love that about David. He knew how to accept grace and begin again. One of my personal unlikely heroes is a man named Chuck Colson. Chuck passed away not too long ago, but Chuck Colson was a counsel, an attorney uh, for Richard Nixon back in the Watergate season. Uh, He was there with him uh, as as an attorney in the inner circle of those involved in Watergate. In fact, he was called by those around him and the others in that circle as Nixon's hatchet man, a former Marine as well. One writer said in that season, he was the evil genius of an evil administration. Now, you can't say much worse than that, can you? Uh, That's the hatchet man, an evil genius in an evil administration. He was the one they would send to damage Nixon's opponents, even though they were innocent, and he was good at doing exactly that. Read the history of that story. You'll know more clearly what I'm talking about today. And part of the Watergate group, convicted of a crime, and he spent the second longest period of time in prison because of what he'd done almost three years. But in 1973, while in prison, he came to Christ. He came to Jesus Christ at his most brokenness, and his life was changed. And when he came out of prison, he had one thought in his mind, all the prisoners that he came into contact with in prison, these men and women, these men who said to him, remember, remember what happened here in this prison. Help us when you get out. And he did. And he built the largest prison ministry in the world when he came out of prison. It still is active today in prisons around the United States. He also became one of the great apologists for the Christian faith, writing book after book, speech after speech, proclaiming Christianity, Christ's salvation, the good news, biblical faith. And I've read almost all of his books, if not all of them. Some of those are one of his first books, which is Born Again. Number one, he wrote, born again, what God did in my heart and life. Unlikely hero, hatchet man, evil genius. Now I'm telling you about Jesus. His second book was titled, can you, what do you think he would name his second book? What could I name? What do I want to tell people I've learned in my story? His second book was titled, Loving God. Just loving God and what I do now because I love God as God loves me. He wrote The Good Life and Now How Shall We Live and Faith and many other books as well. Again, I read almost all of them. The story how David knew how to accept grace and begin again. So wherever we are, we say, Lord, here's my heart. I want to beat one with yours. As your beats, I want mine to beat. As you give life, I'm going to live that life. As you give grace, I want to give grace. As you love me, I want to love others. As you serve me, I want to serve others. As you walk with me, I want to walk by the side of others. The Big Hope illustration, sitting next to a child, putting an American flag together, which I did last week with the the child that I was was subbing for. Playing with these little things and and playing, beating checkers, you know, and and I won. 
I won the checker game. You know, I just couldn't let myself lose that checker game. <laughs> he still remembers. He's doing those kind of things. David knew how to accept grace and begin again. Number five, David considered his walk with God his greatest treasure. It wasn't being king. It wasn't killing Goliath. It wasn't building a nation. It wasn't building a city. It wasn't preparing to rebuild a temple, build a temple. It wasn't building a palace. None of these things. It was his walk with God was his greatest treasure. Think about what that means in life, how that forms and shapes who we are. We discover that kind of life in partnership with God, things are never the same. And everything else will fall into place. It will filter in every other part of our life. If you're married, you're married. Got kids with your kids. Got grandkids with your grandkids. Uh, have neighbors, your neighbors. Church family, your church family. And maybe group that's down in uh, Wimberley. Maybe big old program at Alice Ponder. You, you know, maybe where you serve in the community or your workplace or your family. There are lots of ways to be an unlikely hero. I'm not going to narrow it down to one thing at all. Big old pro program is only illustrative purposes, but you can do that if you'd like to be part of that in our church family. So here's that story. 1 Samuel 17:45. As he faces the giant, and the giant challenges him once again and his gods and his nation, here's what David says. You come to me with a sword and a spear and a javelin, but I come to you in the name of the Lord of hosts. Will you pray with me, please? Heavenly Father, you know us so well, and you know we can sometimes ignore your voice. We even learn how to do it. We hear, and then we hear less and less and less and less, and life goes on, and we learn to live without you speaking to us. Some here have learned that very, very well. There are others here who have never stopped to hear your voice speak, and never have turned their heart towards you at all. They just haven't done it, haven't had time, or haven't had a reason, haven't had a place to do it. Others, God, have learned to, to hear the beating of your heart as their heart beats. They've learned that in worship and maybe in mission and ministry, maybe in their backyard at a time of prayer or reading a Bible, but some have learned it, but we're in all kinds of places today, God. So we simply open our hearts to you right now and, and, we, and we, we hear the beating of your heart, who you love, what you care about, your love for us, and you care about us. We hear the beating of your heart and your call, your grace in the cross and the resurrection, your love and forgiveness of us once again, your patience and understanding of us in our life and our chance to serve you. May you bless us in that place that we become heroes as well, unlikely for sure, God. Maybe heroes with our kids and maybe heroes with our spouse or our friends or our family, heroes in the community or the world we live in, the workplace, our church. But you lead us, God. So we offer our heart to you that we're like King David, and may our heart beat with your heart. We pray in Jesus' name, amen.